Carl, this is a special episode. Let's go back in time, Carl. Indeed. Um, we're featuring. We're going. Whoa! Whoa! We're featuring a guy who used to do stuff just like this right here. See, they do this to me every time we play together because. Little do they know, in my back pocket I carry a sardine can size full of wit. And everybody likes to be introduced by a witty guy, don't they, Steve? Yes. Alright, so I'm going to pick on the uh, talented guy first. Me! Enough about these guys, back to me for a while, ladies and gentlemen. Coming at you in the wrong hole. Sticking it to you in the low end. With his big, far, frequently fabulous-sized, fantastic, funtubulous, four strings of fantasy, Carl August! Four three over in the Balkans for us, ladies and gentlemen. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Who knows Steve Krojaneski? <laughs> Did it. Coming to you from hard floors, six packs, and four o'clock in the morning infomercials on 80s rock and roll. The man who ate lunch with Cinderella partied with Tommy Shaw of the Sticks. Shake! I remember Van Halen, Carl. Do you remember Van Halen? Yeah, dude. It was my first rock concert I ever went to. <laughs> I went to go see OU812 with my buddy Frank Catanzariti. Oh, man. That sounds like fun. Yeah, it was. We stole some uh, peach schnapps from his Italian restaurant that his parents owned. <laughs> 
shoved it in the bathroom tiles and then grabbed it before we left. It's awesome. So Brett Padgett of Padgett's Profile fame, a song that started in ABT, ended up in the Humphreys repertoire. But there's so much more to him. He was ever-present. He was always welcome on, on either stage. Um, what, what, what can we tell people about Brett Padgett before we hear his story? Uh, he is always the uh, life of the party. Uh, Brett Padgett does excellent introductions, as you heard earlier. He has a sardine can size of wit, obviously. I think a tin, tin can of wit would be a good song title. Can we write a song together, Tin Can of Wit? Sure. Yeah, let's go down to the interview. <laughs> yeah. Well, first, Carl, how about we go back to Lula's Cafe? Okay. April 17th, 1999. This is on the Notre Dame campus. Right. And I'm Freeze McGee fans. You should know this song.
Does he remember meeting me? Did you tell him that we've met? He probably won't I don't remember. Know. I wonder if you guys have met or not. I doubt I'll remember. Padge. <laughs> Hello? Hello, is this Padge? Is it Rolling Bomb? Hey, what's up? This is Brett. Hey, Brett. What's up? Hey, how you doing? Can you can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah, you sound great. Am I stereo? Because I only have one headphone. I don't even know. Can you? I mean, yeah, you're, you're stereo. Yeah. Yeah, I'm mono from this side. That's for darn sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I don't know what happened to it. I guess it was, I, I know I had it on in the other ear because I normally listen on the right side of my head, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I must have set it down somewhere and I remembered you guys were going to call, so... Luckily, I found this one. Mm-hmm. So, are you left-handed? What the what the sound quality was going to be? Are you left-handed? Uh, I mean, only only in like spirit. Oh, you know, only in romantic no, no, romantic no, situations. Yes, yeah, only when you backslap yeah. somebody. Oh, love. <laughs> 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 well, we are on. Yeah, we're rolling. Hey, cool. Is this death? See me? Are we live? Is it live? <laughs> well, it's not live. No, live to tape. Oh, Brad. good. good. <clears> yeah, that's, so we can cut out any kind of bad if I right. If I throw the entire Chicago blues scene under the bus like Little Frank. Oh, did that happen? Yeah, that's how I got familiar with you guys, because he <sighs> called me. He said, I can't stand to hear myself. You got to let me know, you know, yep. what your review is. So I downloaded it and listened to Frank and I gave him a review and yep. it was great. I loved your guys' uh, Thanksgiving special to the banjo. Oh, thank you. Banjo guy that maybe played with Mother Vinegar. Oh, uh, yeah, really, right. That was in, <laughs> That was a great conversation. Mm-hmm. We need and more Martha Vinegar shows. The, yeah, and of course the Brendan Bayless Christmas special. Uh-huh. You know, uh, I, which that's the know, guy from Goose, awesome. right? It's just, it's just, it's just there's just such good conversations. And I knew about you guys weirdly because of that thing you're doing with Will for picking the football games. Because right. I've always thought Will was like a 60 year old like CBS sports analyst in the body of a like 12 year old. <laughs> no now doubt. He's like now he's 20 or whatever he is, you know. Yeah. No kidding. And, I think Barstool should 19 or something. Barstool Sports should have a football show with Deion Sanders and Will Engelman. That's what I think. There you go. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, the, you know, once the bears were out, there's no bears and then the Niners lost. I didn't care anymore. Yeah. Like but, I quit, but you got you your know, quarterback. Like, that's basically my commitment to it. You know, I was telling Carl, I like to listen on the radio, you know, mm-hmm. on Sundays, it's kind of a precious day for me. Cause I have time and I'm usually working on projects and I listen to Jeff Joniak and Tom Thayer, you know, cause th- that's the problem with the NFL for me is just a bad product. There's too many commercials. Well, that's you know, true. And I, you know, I don't know how you avoid that other than who knows, you know what I mean? Just be entertained by it. I've never had the fancy um, sports package, so I just watch on free TV. The nightmare for me is when you get blacked out and an Indianapolis Colts game will come on. Ouch. You know, <laughs> whatever. And then I got to get out and move the the, end, the antenna to, fuck, you know, point it west. And <laughs> then it'll I'll get channel two or whatever. Right, and, oh, right. Damn it. This yeah, is the thing you know, about the Indianapolis like, Colts is you never know what game's going to inspire them to put up a banner. Uh, I don't know anything about that. I was never really into sports. I didn't really start thinking about sports until I turned about 40. And just because I'm American and it's our culture and I started playing basketball. And because I started playing basketball, that was like a reason to talk about, you know, like athletes and shit. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I live in, you know, Michigan. So you, you know what I mean? You can't avoid the Chicago Bears. And so you never uh, played basketball in high school. 
No, actually, you know, the funny story is with me is I went to Niles Middle School. We, I, you know, I grew up kind of on the border of Niles and Buchanan, Michigan there. Mm -hmm. In the seventh grade, I went to the school called Ring Lardner, which is kind of rad, you know, and the other one was Ballard. I don't know. It was cool to have sort of go to a school that fucking with namesakes like that. And uh, so I was stoked about it. I went and tried out for the basketball team in seventh grade and they had to cut like three people. And I was one of the three people. Uh... So I was just gamed. Mm. Like I just, then I just stopped. Like I was like, Oh, okay. Basketball isn't for me, I guess, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, I was a little like, you know, I've never been too, my proprioception is unique, I guess is the, like the nicest way of saying it. But you're tied you know? to Notre Dame football, I, right? Uh, play like well, a champion only in the sense that my family is involved in it because uh, my aunt Lori painted the play like a champion today banner that they all hit on the way out of the championship. And like, I want to say 1987 or something like it was a long time ago now, but not that long ago. It was like within our all modern history or whatever. Oh, wait, wait, and, wait, wait, uh, wait, 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 that, that was, that only happened in 87. Yeah. 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 That was like oh, 1987. Lord of mercy. Bulls. I thought that was like back Blue from the fifties or the sixties like, or some shit. No, no, no. He stole it from Oklahoma or something. He oh. saw it in another team's locker room huh. and he asked Lori, who was actually just randomly, she worked as the sign painter for uh, uh, Notre Dame. She was the hand letterer. And Lori is this really rad woman. She's like super sweet. And so since she was the original artist, they she was able to trademark it. And since my dad and Lori worked at Notre Dame, Notre Dame didn't care. You know, they just said, oh, oh whatever, Oops. sure, man, if you want to make those signs. <laughs> and so they started making these signs, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like a generation later, people think like it's from the 50s or from, you know, like it's old legend. It's not. It's like 1987. That's or crazy. I thought you I know? totally thought it was earlier. Than and then, that. of course, my sister went to the university because she was clever and mm -hmm. my dad worked there so that she could go there. Yeah. You know, and then she's had the life of Riley because, you know, that, the, you know, those people, that community takes care of, of, of each other. Mm -hmm. So that's my connection that, you know, my kids, of course, you know, we played like music and we go to concerts. They always had that uh, quartet competition on Mother's Day. I want to say it's the fish, fish ship, the fish off or something. It's beautiful, international all this like um and far out classical music not your nor like the more contemporary the mm -hmm. radder it right, seems right. like the more um I, I remember seeing uh mayor pete when he was just the mayor of south end giving a speech mm -hmm. i know like him but uh, uh, right? you know it's just like it was it was like pretty normal i you know it's like rompus room notre dame to me i don't know how to explain it but um <laughs> you know and like again i miss like i huh. didn't get into sports i was <clears throat> doing mushrooms and like growing food like you know right. because I met Carl. Carl, like, was the first guy I knew I was thinking about this because we were going to be having this conversation. You know, I was thinking the one of the, like, the most uh, brilliant things about Carl is one of the first people ever that got me to uh, sprout a seed. You know, really? I just didn't come from a culture of that. Wait a minute. Are you, you talking about shit in kindergarten? That could be taken a lot of ways. <laughs> You're talking yeah, about planting in kindergarten. I in don't think I did or cared or whatever. But like, you know, I remember having a little garden out back at uh, Corby Street. When we were staying there and just having, you know, oh, yeah, 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 under yeah, a yeah. light in the window and shit. You know what I mean? Like, right. I just didn't even know, you know, right. I mean, you come out, it's all a blink. You That's know, right. And then a week later, and... a week later, we had a dozen pot plants in the basement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 it never looked back. Yeah. Brett, was there a time yeah. Alibaba's was a little bigger than Humphrey's back in South Bend? Alibaba's? Tahini? 
Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, kind of. It was all pretty low key, man. It was like the perfect size. Like there'd be Umphreys, the, the band Umphreys McGee, they were kind of different timelines, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as like, because I remember what I remember about that scene back then was Tashi Station, right. because Carl and I had a little band called Juniper Tree, mm-hmm. named after the Grim Fairy Tale. And we did like silly music but we loved it and we had fun and it was you know genuine and sitting in the basement writing songs and doodling pictures on acid and shit it was so much fun (laughs) and uh and then they would they played with us at some like kind of basement thing Mm -hmm. and then they were kind of getting their thing together in the notre dame scene and see we didn't really interact with the notre dame scene so much just because we were in south bend proper and that was before there was a trader joe's that shit was like good wait wait wait, wait. you guys have a trader joe's now (laughs) what what wow welcome to the world Um, so, and I kind of remember that. And then I was really young. I was a child and Lily accidentally got pregnant because we were hippies <laughs> and we didn't use birth control. And then Oops. I couldn't live in people's basements anymore. You know what I mean? I had to kind of try to get my shit together. And somehow the Jake connection happened with Carl. And I had known Jake since fifth or sixth grade because we had mutual friends, Jesse Johnson from back in the day. And we were both shredders. And, you know, I'd known Jake because whatever. We no, y'all had to say you guys had a common uh, guitar instructor correct yeah and niles and it I was mean, paul really is paul as well to, and right paul yeah and i remember this cat jesse johnson brought me over there because he was a big fan of jake's mm-hmm. and you know because he was a hot shot musician and he knew about kiss and fucking paul gilbert and oh. racer x and and maybe this other guy kevin varney was a mutual friend who's still a really cool guy and i in fact i just got paint from kevin varney hmm. uh, <laughs> not too long ago and uh but anyway so i went back to that timeline so then i kind of remember those guys hooking up and alibaba's tahini really starting to put out songs and i think umphreys was already playing in some form whether there was tashi station and this is with mike miro who was a cool kid absolutely and he was uh he was maybe the drummer and maybe then joel got involved late i don't remember exactly who was who or whatever i remember ryan the bass player went on a juniper tree tour because our bass player maybe spontaneously combusted or something (laughs) and uh or maybe a couple of them sean sean conley right yeah i still see sean he teaches music he's Mm -hmm. a gem of a person plays board games he's a cool dude man took care of his family and he moved back to Mishawaka from Seattle and all that, you know, oh, really? New Orleans and wherever he was. Was Stacey already making money so he could lose at gambling like he does now? I don't think he may. I don't know what his money situation. I think they were just like normal <laughs> Kalamazoo family. Yeah. I don't remember anything about money with Ryan. It's a funny um, thing with Humphreys. Uh, uh, over the years, Stasek and Joel have really emerged as the ambassadors of that band. They go out and they meet the crowd. They do all the interviews. They're, uh, they're like incredibly generous, like Ryan doing like the football thing you brought up. He doesn't need that aggravation, and he no. really like, repeatedly made time for us. He's a, such a down-to-earth guy. But, man, he lost a lot of money. Yeah. Gambling, sure. <laughs> he lost a lot of money. He really did. I felt so bad. It's like, Humphreys, <laughs> book more shows. Doom. Book shows. Yeah. So I remember... So So I kind of like we knew all those people, but then like they kind of like kind of coalesced and they were reintroduced, weirdly enough, in my life, because I remember at that point they had moved in across the street from Lily, who's the love of my life. And she grew up on this street called Woodward. And at some house, the Umphreys band house was across the street from Lily's 
right when I was like, I we gave birth to my daughter in that house. Hmm. And so, like, meanwhile, across the street at the same time, you know, and those guys would probably think that's insane because of what was happening probably in their lives when they were 22 or They're whatever. giving birth, too, but, to songs. Um, yeah. And then so I knew that those guys were jamming. And then Carl and Jake put out maybe a couple albums with Steve. At that time, Carl had to move to North Carolina because this the Sojourner Truth Myers bars. <laughs> and then... Disaster. And then from that, and then from that, kind of Jake was just like hanging drywall. Yeah. And like, you know, and he was stuck because the Carl was like, you know what I mean? Carl's Carl. And uh, so then he started playing with um then then they and that's really when Umphreys kind of coalesced into like we're fucking shredding the scene, you know what I mean? So they were kind of different timelines. If you asked if one had like a bigger following than the other, both of them, all of us, it was very sweet. You know what I mean? I just wish I just hope people are still making bands. You know, it's kind of rare now. Like music is something that other people do. It's not you know what I well, mean? You're just, still like, for whatever you're, reason are the Squirm Orchestra is still playing, correct? I mean, you guys. Sunday night, we were out and we were in the studio and, until three in the morning. I mean, it's therapy. Right. It's not like we play the hated music. I mean, it's like, I mean, I think it's relevant. Well, I mean, you, you know, it's where. Khalil is still in the band, right? Which, by the way, Khalil oh, yeah. replaced yeah. Carl and Alibaba's, right? Yeah. Yes. And so yet, no, no like bad blood. You, no, no. You we all totally. Had, well, yeah, we've actually played together a couple times. I've heard nothing but great oh, stuff about Khalil. Know, in fact, in fact, Khalil and I fell in love because. When I didn't know Khalil at that point, you know, other than like he happened to grow up with Lily. But at this point, we didn't even realize that that connection was there. Wow. He opened up. I was in this band called Velvis Elvit. (laughs) And uh, we had a sweet little set together. You know, we were like, you know, it was like, you know, I was maybe 30 years old or something. I was like a stand up comic. You know, I had 45 minutes together and like I was doing bad jokes and it was fun. But like uh, Ali Baba's Tahini in that incarnation or maybe I was 25 years old or something. But in that incarnation, they let Velvis Elvit open for them. <laughs> and me and Khalil. But like but when when. You know, you're doing a sound check and everyone's just sitting around hanging out or whatever. We locked in on some shit, man. And at that point, Khalil, I don't know if you remember this, Carl, but like he would only sit down. Oh, yeah. When he played. Yeah. Like Mike Hauser. Yeah, when he played. He would only sit on his, he would only sit down for whatever reason. That was just like the way he was comfortable or. Yeah. That was the style. That's not the case anymore. Now he's like, whoo wee. Boy, that guy is like lightning and and, and a lightning. I don't even know how to explain it. And and he's playing with uh, Dustin in uh, Infinite Buffalo, too. And those guys are serious, whatever Native American prog rock. Native American prog rock. It's like Brett, you know, I, I got to seize your mind, yeah. though, because there's a lot of young Humphreys fans who are Alibaba's uh, curious and have either only oh. seen the reincarnation of them or or not seen them at all. Can you take us back to those Alibaba shows days? What are some of your memories that stick out of Alibaba's Tahini in the late 90s? I don't know. I, I remember I remember so much. I mean, I, I just <sighs> well, I, I guess when I I guess when I think of one of their like the what I would consider like the the hometown or whatever or like the home court was this place called Mickey's pub. <laughs> it's now called the Fiddler's hearth. Oh, and I think that there was like, I didn't know you that. know what I mean? Like when everybody was kind of back in town and things were rolling, like that seemed to be where the hometown gigs were, but they played all over the place. Cause they were working a hustle. They wanted to make a living playing music. And Carl was working his ass off, you know, on all those songs. And I think he was, he was playing bass guitar or something and singing, just shredding. And like, mm-hmm. 
I guess I remember. I remember in Bloomington, you guys came to Bloomington. Remember we played at that place? Uh, oh yeah, in the downstairs. The Bluebird. Of, yeah, no, it wasn't the Bluebird. It was a smaller place than that. Um, the Ratskeller, wasn't it? When you were playing it, everybody's played at Lula's. Do you remember that place? Yeah, I think it, yeah, in, in, in I, Bloomington wasn't it the Ratskeller? We had a Ratskeller in Boston. Maybe it was the Rat Skeller. I think yeah. it was. And I think you have recordings yeah, of it. Some, or you did have recordings I, of it. I do. I recorded it on a dat. I played with you guys. We played yes. Bump. Yeah. That song, that jamming song. We also played, we played, per your request, we played Milestones. Can we play some of that on the show? Oh, oh yeah, that? that's right. We, yeah. I'd love I to play do. it if I can get my hands on Please it. Please dig that up. Man. Send it to us. Yeah, I will. You know, I owe Carl some tapes. I, I when I visited you guys last time, I don't remember when that was now, but uh I last those, but I have last the dads, those recordings that were in the attic with mm. Jake. So you, you know the Moogie the Buddhist and yeah. uh <laughs> which which, which Moogie the Buddhist was the song that we recorded at a Umphrey show. Remember when you gathered them all and they had and you made them all talk in the microphones during a set break? <laughs> and we actually oh, talked about yes. that. We talked about that at the uh, on the Brendan Bayless episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I I do remember that. And now we're talking. This must have been like twenty years ago, right? Twenty five years yeah, ago. 20, yeah, more than twenty. You know, were people surprised wow. in the one band gathers what another band spills category? Were people surprised, or was it quite logical when Jake ended up in Humphreys McGee? No, everybody was homies. Like everybody played together. It made total sense. Right. I mean, if Carl was hanging out down wherever in North Carolina and Jake had to work and Humphreys had gigs, you played. There wasn't any thought like that. And I'm sure it's probably like that still, isn't it? The whole world, you know, like unless maybe there's like the old standard bands or whatever that are always together. Like it seems like everybody kind of does whatever they can to keep playing music now. Well, I'm never you surprised know. that the Jake, uh, Carl parallels that go on, but to hear Brennan and Ryan talk about the things they learned from Carl is particularly uh, fun to me. Learn from Carl? Oh, yes. Way back. Remember, Ryan picked up bass because the band needed a bassist and Brendan took songwriting cues from Carl. Oh, Are you that yeah. shocked? Yeah, no, I just don't even... Re- <laughs> I mean, it doesn't like... It's interesting to think about this stuff and, and put it in my mind to record, you know, because I'm just trying to keep, you know, machines going down the road nowadays. Mm-hmm. Any Everything you can do to get together with your homies on a Sunday night and play music and not be burnt out. And now it's like, we're drinking tea, you know? I mean, it's like right, a pretty, right. oh, I love or low alcohol like, beer. I love whatever. juice, fresh yeah. juice. Well, since we're profiling what you, about you guys, are you, are you guys playing any sports? Cause I see that you're doing the, uh, like I know Carl loves hockey. If you guys, are you guys getting a community of people like to play sports at all? Just our kids play a little street hockey out front. Yeah, it's vicarious at this point. I don't want to blow out my ACL. A friend of mine did that. <laughs> he kept playing softball and basketball, and it blew out his ACL, and it affected his work. I want oh, zero yeah. part of that. Now, Byron does yeah. well. Byron does well with basketball. Of course, Will is his coach and stuff. So you know, we do drills and everything like that. But you know, I'm We've I'm not the basketball. About even like bowling again. You know what I mean? Something oh sure, just, yeah. Like get people together to hang out. Yeah, you know we just I mean? had it's my so weird that blank for a few years. You know, yeah, my my uh, employee like- Christmas party, we went bowling. Hmm. at the casino it was oh, fantastic it's fun right i yeah. mean just to be together with people like you know what i mean it's so important yeah we all got you know, t-shirts what made I remember about those days is like we were all just together just hanging out trying to play music yeah. we played anywhere we could anybody that would have us we in oh, fact absolutely. we rented out halls so that we could play our own music yeah 
I don't know. I'm still kind of doing that. I, I play basketball every Wednesday, like religion, mm. because I need it. You know mm. what I mean? I need to stay strong. It was almost like therapy getting to be able to play basketball finally. And I'm still not very good. I was just talking to a friend about this. Uh, we were talking about artificial intelligence. And I said, you know, I'll be impressed when one of those machines can beat me at basketball. And I'm not very good at basketball. We are still doing a lot of calculus to be able to walk around and move around and use this language and to have finesse and to, to share empathy and concern. It's kind of advanced what's happening. I mean, it's a pretty important piece of technology we're all dealing with. Back to you in basketball, I'm really impressed that you took it on at such a later time of your life. You're 40. Yeah, 40. it's great. Kind of a music connection. It's my buddy Joe Puglio. Mm-hmm. Got me playing. Joe now is 57, and he still plays every Wednesday and goes to the Y. And I think two weeks ago, he played full court. And he's 57. Oh, my God. He's full the court is the worst. I told you about my homie. That he, do you guys know the band Yola Tango? Of course. The bands that are still together. Amazing yeah, band. Been their uh, tour manager for 25 years or something. And so he came over and we started playing basketball. And then it was two on two. And now it's like every week you have to beat guys off with a stick so that we don't have more than eight guys show up. Do you know where that band got its name? It's like uh, it was a New York Mets era, yes. right, in the outfield. It was and the 62 Mets, the first Mets ever. Yeah. And the shortstop and left fielder kept running into each other on pop-ups. Roger Angel, his book, Five Seasons, he wrote about it. So the, the shortstop was <laughs> Spanish-speaking. So the left fielder learns, just say Yola Tango, Yola Tango, and then he'll know. Yeah. So the next time it happens, he comes in, the left fielder says, Yola Tango, the shortstop lays off, and the fucking center fielder runs him over. Because <laughs> he's oh, English-speaking. <laughs> and so they That's took hilarious. inspiration. What a great story. What a great way to name a band. And they're the most amazing band. There's a place in Atlanta, Brett, called the Terminal West that's a very small room, the kind of room you go to and you, you don't expect people to be quiet for shows because it's kind of a bar, too. You know, I'm, a, I'm a jerk about once it's theater size or bigger, you want people to really listen to the show. But when it's theater smaller than theater size, you have to roll with it that it's a bar. But when Yola Tango last played there, even the people working kept quiet because the first sets that tour were so quiet. And it was the most beautiful show I've seen there. Yola Tango is amazing. It's unfortunate their Hoboken shows are, or wherever they're held now are so oversold. They do an annual uh, Hanukkah thing. Oh, the Hanukkah. It's an amazing yeah. thing, but I hear it's like crazy oversold now. They should do something about that. They are uh, Jesse Jarno, who does the gr- good old Grateful Dead cast, is also a big Yola Tango guy, and he has been pushing them on me for decades, and he's the main reason I, I know of them, and they, they are amazing. Ira Kaplan and... Uh, and the other two, I forget the names. Georgia. Yes, Georgia's on Georgia the, and James. They're yes, all James, a big guy. People. They're as sweet and as beautiful as they sound. Generally, Georgia's on drums and James is on bass, but they also they switch around too, right? Yeah, yeah, right. And Ira's a total wahoo guitarist. Ugh. And when he came back, I just saw him like after the pandemic, you know? Right. And he just destroyed Thalia Hall in Chicago. That is not. I mean, oh. coming out of the fucking trenches with like a knife, bloody knife in his mouth. Nice. And just like crawling. Ugh. You know, actually, the last time I ran into Brendan Bayless was I was going out to hang out with those guys because they got a gig opening up for the uh, uh, fish guy, Ghost of the Forest. At the, it was at this, um, I don't remember the, it was, oh, it's called the Greek Theater mm-hmm. or the Apollo Theater or something. It was in a neighborhood in the Los 
Out west. Uh, Los, yeah, it was out in California. It was by the Griffith Observatory. It was just down the hill from it because I walked up there. It was like about a, two, maybe a mile and a half walk up to the Griffith Observatory was the gig. I was on my way out there with Joe, and it was a great gig. Joe was kind of joking. I just had to keep him from eating space burritos or whatever. <laughs> but it's like, again, I think it's a pretty green tea kind of crowd. I was going to the airport, and I ran into Brendan and his, his wife, who I hadn't met before. Annie. And they were, it was her, yeah, it was her 40th birthday. And they were going to New Orleans to like hang out and live the life. And it was like so charming to see him and be so happy and his beautiful wife. And they had a <coughs> nanny for the kids. And I know what all that is, you know. I don't know. I was just like stoked. And that was the last time I saw him. And I was going out to see that show. And I got to walk around that old theater underneath it while the music was happening. Nice. It was so beautiful. I remember I took a picture because it had Trey. I, I was right in front of Trey Anastasio's complete pedal board setup and talking to a sound guy. And I was like, dude, can I stand here and like take a picture for my friends that are like fish heads or whatever? This will blow their mind. And I did. And so I got my two, my, my buddy Squirrel and my buddy Eddie Gilhooly. Like I sent them pictures and they're, it was like mind blown. Squirrel, and, the original. Uh, Original Wook. And, and you wouldn't think Ira was fucking, we were, I don't know, we were both just watching, uh, what's his name, J Trey, just own the tone, you know, mm -hmm. like he had his setup so dialed in in this theater. That's my memory of that, that situation. It's funny. It tied in with Brendan, too. You know, I got to jump mean, in because as a long time I'm, as a long time fish fan, that Ghost in the Forest stuff, it, it, yeah, I'm not afraid to be critical of fish, but that Ghost of the Forest is clearly indicative just how amazing Trey still can be as a composer. That's all all those songs and the arc of it. It's so beautiful, and it's inspired by a friend of his who lived in the city I've lived in for 25 years, and it just it just uh, it just hits me on so many levels. Atlanta. It was a friend of Trey's who lived in Atlanta. And did he pat did he pass away or something? And this was yeah. kind of dedicated to him. Yeah, and it's oh, it's beautiful. Like, I can't listen to that stuff. Yeah. some of the I songs making me tear up. I didn't know anything about any of it. It was total surprise, and I was so grateful to just be whatever tangential to that experience. And oh, this other girl, Jen. Hartswick was playing with them, and she's, she's wonderful. amazing. She's wonderful. And uh, um, Natalie Cressman. Uh, uh, um, I don't remember her. She's the I other horn. The keyboard player was a real funny, like George R. R. Martin-looking guy. Ray Pack. Uh, can't pronounce his last name. Ski Paskinski, something yeah. like that. He's wonderful. As a matter of yeah, fact, when yeah. Fish broke up. Uh, in the early 2000s, Trey was uh, very effusive about how Ray, that keyboardist, like it was a big part of him staying involved in creating and making music and playing shows. So, yeah, Ray's a very significant figure in the fish world without ever having actually been in fish. Well, my favorite basketball uh, teammate or one of my favorite teammates, I should say, he got to sit in on that show, too. So he got to go out on stage and play like one of the classic like you know five or ten finger tritone keyboard chords and weird the audience out really so i was like it was, yeah it was That's very awesome. special it was a very special time it what's was his super name fun and to be out there and playing music his name is joe pulio huh. you know and there's not an ice queen from here to pittsburgh that hasn't met that guy trying to you know, hook something up or get some kind of machine somewhere to drop something off and pick up some kind of back line for some kind of festival. 
you know, those people that do that job, that's why I've always kind of thought about those guys in the back of my head, the Umphreys guys. And, you know, it's so much work to play that music all the time, to move all that equipment around and to have all those expectations on Wednesday nights at 11 o'clock. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of people. It's a big machine always going. So while we're profiling you, Brett, we need oh. to chase the, the the dragon here. There is a song in your, in your honor. When did you first knew that Paget's profile existed? And uh, what are your thoughts well, on that? How did it come? Didn't we? All right, Carl. Tell me. Tell me. Wasn't that just a... Paget's profile. I'm pretty sure it was just, we were like, we were making a bunch of noise with flat fifths. You got to remember, we were like in our 20s. It was the first time we'd ever heard Albert Eiler before. You know? Albert Eiler. Like all of a sudden you start... Yeah, you start hearing that shit, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I didn't know nothing. Like, I'm telling you, I didn't even started any tomato plants before. You know, it was all new to me. Like, I got a job at Musicland in the mall, and, like, the whole world opened up in front of me, and it's kind of just been, like, whelming yeah. since. I remember we, you know? we picked you up from Musicland, and we dosed up on a bunch of acid, and I remember watching the moon in the snow. Yeah. And yeah, I'm man. And let it go with And, that. like, <laughs> I know. I know it's, it's funny how like things I can't stick even with formulate you. Right. the words that are my wonder, you know. <clears throat> but I think Page's really prof- yeah. profile, I think, is a, it's a combination of augmented, diminished, kind of whole tone scale note net thing. Uh, I believe Jake was in the mix too. I think at least I think Jake wrote it, or he had the main groove, or something. He certainly sounded like always the best, or whatever. Because yeah, you know, like he shreds. Yeah. Maybe you know? maybe we need to ask him. It's fun as I'm a guy on Twitter and when they'll come out in the last, what songs, you know, we're playing this city night, what song do you want to hear? And Padgett's profile is uh, very clamored for by the hardcores, Brett. Oh, because it's dark. People are like, can we go to the dark place? We go to the dark place? Yeah, Padgett's profile. That's what it is. Yeah. Don't you hate those bands that don't jam dark at all? They're just all fluffy and nice, you know, fairies and unicorns. It was, it was, it was like that song, Carl, you wrote way back in the day, Time Stopping Power. Right. You know, mm-hmm. tell me what's that? kind of what I think of like when the when the music. Oh, Carl had this. Carl wrote some great songs when he was, I don't know, like you were maybe 20 years old. But this was like when he was toying around with being Carl August. instead of <laughs> yeah. Carl Engelman. Wait, I thought Vince was and August. Like, Vince? Yeah. <laughs> Vince would go on tour with Brett. I mean, with Brendan and, uh, and fish tour. And he wanted to be called August. And that's where the song August comes from. Now I hear you wanted to be an August as well. You're shit. Oh, maybe it was something in the strain or something. Oh, I guess. Maybe it was something going on like that. Maybe there was, maybe that was the thing. Maybe that's what all the young kids were doing at the time. It's also but, my grand, uh, my grandfather's oh, no, he, he, Carl wrote beautiful songs. I mean, it was just, it, just like he is now, just like the album I just heard. Long I game. Mean, he's natural. They just, you yeah, listen to Long Game? Song, it just, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. The newest one. Well, yeah. What, what, what do you think when someone you grew up with puts out something not amazing? Tell, talk about that. <laughs> you know, it's hilarious. He's used to it's it. Still, like, it's, it's never changed is all I'm trying to say. Like, it's <laughs> yeah, the he's same used thing. to it. It's, it's the same thing. It's always been from my perspective. I'm not surprised at all. I was only surprised for a brief time in Carl's life because he was getting his business off the ground that he wasn't playing music. So, like, yeah. the fact that he's playing music, it's no surprise to me at all that these people are so, you know what I mean, powerful and creative because everybody has that in them. It's a good outlet sense of humor. But you were even writing music when you weren't playing music that much. I remember you were that song Threads from Abraham Yeah. when Pat had his heart attack. Yeah. That one time I was driving down and somehow I stayed with you and mm-hmm. I found out Pat had a heart attack and yeah. he ended up, like, out on the front porch and yeah. you busted out that song. That was yeah. so beautiful, man. Mm-hmm. And, like... So I guess I'm never really shocked by the fact that 
Carl's making beautiful things because, you know, ever since I've known you, you've been making, you know, beautiful things. You know, that's why the food thing is so important. You know what I mean? It's so good to, you know, we exist to make life easier. for. Oh, yeah. Speaking speaking of which, I really wanted to talk shifted away from me and more on you. But But real quick before you do. Okay. 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 The bottom feeder. Back to me for a while, right? (laughs) The bottom feeders record, Alibaba's Tahini. He finally recorded that song. I guess all those years later, Threat yeah, from Abraham. Threat from Abraham. Same one? Yeah. So, folks, yeah. and we're not going to play because we've already played on the podcast before, but check that one out, Threat from Abraham. Go ahead. But, yeah, I wanted to talk about Lily's cooking and how, because oh whenever, and whenever yeah. Brett talks about Lily's cooking, he gets elated. And it's almost like he, it's an orgasmic thing going on, even when he thinks about it. And as a fan of The Who, I want some pictures of Lily oh. cooking. Yeah, well, I tell you what, she's, a, she's like, she's a natural the cells have to stop somewhere, and for her, it's the same thing. It's it's helping others, and food is just such a good, easy way to do that. It's every day of my life and has been for 25 years, so any part of my perspective and being, I really owe to her. My bacteriological blueprint is that woman. <laughs> like, she's literally had, since my cells have changed, they've been intermixed with hers just out of happenstance. And, you know, we spend a lot of time together, and it's really an extension of the garden. I mean, when, when it comes to Lily, it's really all about growing food and making as much as we can. And because of her, uh, we've just been on an incredible journey. I was thinking about this today. I've been a beekeeper for now 22 years. <clears throat> I've been making maple syrup. At some point, as soon as the kids were born, I just got really committed to these other hobbies besides like, you know, just playing music with my homies. I continued to play music with my friends. But man, it's been a long time doing that. And then when you're doing that, then you're always moving the line, man. You're being a farmer. Once you're moving the horse shit around, fun never stops. Now, now and, uh, Lily is, she's... I'm growing my own wheat right now. Heirloom, <laughs> turkey, red fife, wheat. Lily's making sourdough with wheat. We, we grew, wow. you know, just yeah. one acre, right. you know, but that's a thousand pounds if you do it right. It, we ended up with about 850 pounds because we do it okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm using a 1946 Alice Chalmers A60 Harvest All, uh-huh. and I got like an old Macy Ferguson number nine Baylor. Like, I don't know. I'm figuring out. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm total piker. She'd say, oh, wouldn't it be fun to, you know, make sourdough? And the sourdough culture Lily's dealing with, oh, 40 years old. Yeah. It was... You know, it's we got 40 or 50 years of in the family, mm-hmm. just in our family, passing it back and forth. Mm-hmm. So, and, like, I don't know. And, and You know, food is just like part of our in our entire lives. You know, everything we do is around being with family and, and feeding each other. Yeah. Everything. Probably getting some awesome characteristics and some, you know, some of that bacteria from the, you know, southern Michigan uh, that's on the southern Michigan wheat that's adding to those cultures. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got to be. Oh, you know, you're just it's, adding man, to it. I tell you what, it's beautiful, and it's and we're saving our own seed, which is the key. You know, you mm-hmm. plant a hundred pounds, you get you get eight hundred. You know, it's a pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. You know, if you you know what I mean, if you can manage the machines to keep the soil good. And we live in Southwest Michigan. So there is really good dirt and lots and lots and lots of water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so. We're really fortunate for that. When I think about like all the food that we're constantly making, it's the juice we need to keep growing. Mm-hmm. I am totally overjoyed when I put away 100 pounds of tomato sauce for the year. And now I've turned into a witch because of her. I'm making my own St. John's wort tinctures, and we do aronias. That's my big crop that uh, I got a little place up north in Michigan now. I want to plant some aronia trees there. That's in my five-year plan here. I've just got two plants, and they make 25 pounds of this. Uh, we, we reduce this aronia 
aronia syrup with honey. Do you guys know aronia? Mm -mm. It's the super antioxidant. I think mm. I brought some to you, Carl, when I came down last time. I think mm. I left some. It's like a real thick purple syrup, or did I just bring honey to you? Uh, honey and maple syrup. Oh, maple syrup. Yeah, of course. Right. Do you do any canning? Uh, well, do you grow anything that you can and preserve? Well, we mostly freeze things. Oh, God. You know, because it's easier. Mm -hmm. It's easier, and we're using it. Dude, you know you, I mean, we've, we've canned before, but... You dropped the beekeeper thing in there and, and, and went off. I'm fascinated by that. First of all, I imagine the career path oh. as a beekeeper can be like Stuart Copeland. You, you get burned by the sting along the way, but you figure out your path. What, 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 is, <laughs> what is that like, beekeeping? Is, is it tough to learn well, how to do properly you know, and not piss them off? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's a reason they don't call it honey collecting. Right. Um, mm. And that's in like an old adage that's like 150 years old. That's like the beekeeper dad joke, you know. No, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm constantly just trying to figure it out. I kind of consider it observational science. And uh, no, you get stung. I don't really have to use equipment all the time anymore because I know when to go in because of the barometric pressure. You can feel it in the atmosphere when you're going to get away with messing with the bees. Do they have personalities? Any other time, the bees? No, I wouldn't say it's a personality. It's more like kind of a, re a reflection on your mellow. Is it a high barometric pressure or a low barometric pressure to fuck with the bees? It's, it's a high bar. Oh, low to fuck with them. High is when you want to go in. Oh, okay. So when it's like twenty-eight bars or twenty-eight point four six bars up, don't mess with them. When a storm's coming in, yeah. don't do it. You know right. they like it that to only be makes, like open yeah. air, loud and clear. You know, and who doesn't? Sure. I mean, that's sure. the truth. I mean, that. Yeah, because that they, they might be stressed out already because there's a storm coming. You know, they're, we're going to organize and protect the hive. Right. They're dialed Storm's in. Storm's yeah. coming. Yeah, yeah. And uh, mm. I don't know. I've had at least, I think I've had up to maybe eight hives before, but I always average around two or three. Mm -hmm. And uh, for about five years there, from 2008, uh, like 17 to 2021, 20, I lost my hives every winter because of the crazy temperature swings, because the, the climate's changing up here in Michigan anyways. It's different now than it was at least, whatever, 10 years ago. I never had that problem, and I haven't had it for the last couple of years, but when we were getting those big, what were they calling them, the polar vortexes? Yeah, or the bombs. We had, we, we had crazy shit where like the temperatures would change 65 degrees in one day. Yeah. You know, it'd be like minus 18, and then it'd be 52 degrees that weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the bees, they, they can't handle that because they go into a mass mm -hmm. in the winter, so they all cuddle up, essentially, and vibrate. Mm -hmm. And then when they come out of that, when they break that mass, they can't get back to that vibe quick enough. And uh, listen, I sound very metaphysical because that's the truth. I don't really know. I'm only using the language that I understand things in to try to, you know, share my perspective of what the bees are going through because the truth is, is... You know, I don't speak the... Well, you speak it better than most of us. And I'm sure you know that bees are vital. Yeah. I mean, I pre they're, they're incredible for pollination, but I'll tell you what, there's schools of thought out there that, you know, I've been doing this for a long time because I got, I, we planted a bunch of apple trees. And so in my heart, I was doing it for pollination. There's people out there that think that that is not the way to be. That's the way really, to be. Uh, <laughs> really want, 
you you want to have native pollinators. You know, so I've been really kind of involved in, in storing some land. I'm real fortunate. I work for this guy that lets me use my imagination a lot. And one of the things that he's been on is turning the land. So instead of mowing it, we're doing all native prairies. Wow. And so I've gotten to know that planting, that language and the people around here that are doing it, how they're getting the, the native grasses versus the flowers. And those really encourage native pollination. And the reason we're losing a lot of that is, of course, because of monoculture. Mm-hmm. You know, because when they clear cut these forests so these fat asses don't have to get out of their tractors, it creates a situation that oh, you're not just losing whatever the stuff that you think you're counting. You're losing the things that you don't even know that you were counting. Right. And those things yeah. are native pollinators. Mm-hmm. And the really bees, the like that we know them, are kind of like invasive species. Hmm. I mean, they're not a hundred percent because they're going to mostly die out if you leave them be. You know, but like they're wow, I keep coming back to that one. But um, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, there's some different schools of thought now that maybe beekeeping isn't really the most vital form of preserving vegetable pollination. Maybe the better way is to have more green space and we have natural pollination. Yeah, I like where you're going with that, talking about the the natural landscape of, well, in this case, southern Michigan, yeah. close to the Lake Michigan, which is probably the same around Chicago and in Indiana before colonization by Europeans. But it was probably yeah. just like you're talking about this prairie-like area. And we were just talking about this. I don't know if we were talking on the podcast or, or what, but we were talking about, you know, take a drive through Indiana and look at that farmland. It, the soil is dead. They have just killed it. They just put fertilizers on it year after year. They just, they might do some kind of rotation crop, but it's, it's with Franken uh, yeah. seeds and soybeans. Hey, hey right. ju- just as a concert attender who first went to Deer Creek for the Grateful Dead in, in 89, just north of Indianapolis, that was all surrounded by fields. Here we are in 2003. It's surrounded by land development. One could maybe assume that that's because the soil can't handle the... No, that's probably just from, from uh, wealthy white people. No, <laughs> I mean, you know, I was just out in, in Wilbur, Nebraska. And we were helping some family out that was there. And I was talking to these people and I talked to one guy, him and his dad farm 8,000 acres together. Two guys. They farm out some of their trucking, Mm -hmm. but they basically do it mostly themselves. And they're servicing the debt monster is all they're doing. Mm -hmm. They know it's not good. They know, they know what's up, what they're doing to the water table. They no. understand that they're beholden to these seed manufacturers, mm-hmm. but they're servicing debt and they're making money. So until you stop the incentivization of that, we can't even begin to talk about what the damage that that, that kind of economy is doing to the actual living soil. Mm. I was kind of surprised to see, to talk to these, you know what I mean? They were just normal normal guys. The one kid was probably 35 and his dad was probably 65. And uh, they told me straight up, they're they're just riding the debt monster, man. Mm, yeah. And they're just servicing the debt. And the bigger tractor they get, the less they have to get out of their tractor. Some of that farm equipment is millions of dollars for a combine. Oh, which yeah. is why it's hard to be a family it's farm. Amazing. Which is why there's so many non-family farms, it's, more it's, corporate. It's just quite amazing. Yeah, and they don't even because I was saying, because I said, well, man, how's your tractor neck? Because when you're planting fields or doing what I'm doing, garlic, bok choy, apples like it hurts you so i was joking i said oh he's like no man no tractor neck it's all gps he said you couldn't even steer it as straight as the gps he goes no one can do you couldn't beat it so it's like it's like a rumba why they need these 
Like a giant yeah, rumba in the field. It is. <laughs> You're not kidding, man. I mean, <laughs> I would say if, if you were like an ambitious person and you wanted to change things and you had a magic wand, that would be the one area culturally for America I would try to make progress in thinking about the way we think about that as our agricultural policy. Because then on the other end, we're basically subsidizing diabetes. Right. You know, right. Especially with corn production. Yeah. Yeah. No one needs that stuff. And Mm -hmm. and, and you guys know from being foodies is that the real food's being grown by people. Yeah. Look at those pictures. You You ever look at the pictures for people from like in the 50s and 60s and look how skinny everybody was? And and what's the difference? It all has to do with uh, high fructose corn syrup. Exactly. High fructose corn syrup. They look look like our hippie friends that are starting, like, have been taking care of themselves for 20 years. Right. Or not taking care of themselves for 20 years. Or not taking care of themselves. Yeah, yeah, for example. <laughs> the ones that don't still see shows. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I, I love it here. You Oops, know, sorry, things Carl. grow really well. I'm really fortunate for that. And being on the lake next to all that fresh water is, you know, it's a dream. Speaking of Mickey's Pub back in the day and Alibaba's Tahini and all the madness that went on, do you remember Ralph Gillis? Oh, of course, Ralphie. I was dragging my boat up to my little cabin up north to go sailing mellifluous. And who goes screaming by me but Ralph. Wow. Then he called me, and uh, it was great to hear from him, man. He's living the life. He's got a bunch of kids, and he knows all those guys. He hangs out with Jake, I guess. Jake's living back in Niles, I heard, so mm-hmm. I want to go stop by Boondock. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's a star now. Maybe you have to have a password or something to get in. A little speakeasy kind of shit. Yeah. No, Humphrey's numbers are down a little. He should be fine. <laughs> Yeah, Ralph is Ralph is like, dude, I don't know. He hasn't changed a bit, man. Like, I, Well, then he's he doing something fun. right. He's doing something right. You know what I remember about Ralph mostly? Uh, remember that airline I had, that guitar? Oh, yeah, yeah, the airline guitar, yeah. Somehow that got borrowed, and it got left at that house that Ralph was living at by the post office. Mm-hmm. You remember? Do you remember that house? I don't even know how it got there. But, like, that guitar got borrowed. It got dropped off somewhere. And then somebody brought it over, and I'll never forget, because it was like, you know, it was my guitar, and I didn't have much, but Dick Weichel got that guitar for me. You know, he he did sound for Zappa and new Stevie Ray Vaughan and shit. And like, I just always loved that guitar, you know, that airline. Khalil plays it now. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of his main axe in Infinite Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Like, I wasn't much of a gearhead, but that was like one piece that I always liked. And so I tracked that guitar down. I think it was thanks to you, Carl. And so I just went into that house kind of sketchy i want to say but it yeah. looked like it was maybe notre dame grad students or something i didn't it looked like a different world to me but it seemed sketched out a little bit and like i didn't know anybody that lived there and i went like sneaking into the house because nobody answered the door <laughs> and i just looked around and sure enough there was the guitar in the corner and on the way out it was ralphie and i was just like oh fuck dude what's up ralph <laughs> I just I don't know why I remember that and I remember having that guitar back. I love that guitar. Oh yeah. Guitar. Yeah, I'm glad you're keeping it in the yeah. family. I yeah, I had it. It's beautiful. It's art. It's like all uh, um bird's eye maple mm-hmm. and it's got these plastic art deco pickups and I had it totally redone by the same guy who I've heard sets up Jake's guitars. Because our mutual friend Leaper turned me on to that guy. Oh yeah, the guy that's Bend. over by my old house in um in South Bend. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I went and great. I met him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did my old Gibson, and he right. he did he did an incredible setup job. This and he cool. set that guitar up, and I kind of gave it to Khalil as you know an honor that he plays it. You know, <laughs> right? 
Well, that's great. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I, I don't know about you, but like once the, like the pandemic and all that bullshit happened, cause everybody was so far out. Mm-hmm. I wasn't getting together with people to play music for like two years. Like, and I'm not a, pro, you know, right. a, profe- a professional musician. I wasn't like going to the studio. Mm-hmm. I wasn't because everyone had their different views and mm-hmm. it was pretty rough time. I'm glad that that's back. And I'm glad that I got like a bunch of toys out. Carl, I was inspired by your studio, seeing it with your brother. Oh, that really? Night. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was so fun. I was so glad you have all those vintage synthesizers mm-hmm. and that you're <laughs> making instruments and like, that's yeah. a fun room you have down there. Tell him what you're making really in the garage. Like, he's working on a tube preamp. Yeah, yeah, he's working on a tube preamp in his garage right here. When, when, when I walk in, I see it every time. Right, mm-hmm. It's right there. Oh, you guys record this at Carl's house? Yeah, absolutely. We're, every time. Yeah, we're upstairs oh. in the dining room. Oh, great. So when you guys are like making food and stuff, you're just hanging out in the living room there. Yeah, pretty dining much room. dining room. But yeah, yeah, the kitchen's right over here, so... You know, we, we yeah. cook food and then we bring it over and talk about it. And yeah. Ellen is so kind to let us yeah. do this. She's wonderful. She's super kind to let us do this because um, I don't know if I'd be able to put up with it. And she doesn't like us talking yeah. uh, uh, while we're eating the food. So No, so we've tried to mute that. Do that more. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> so who is this guy who did Sound for Zappa and can you connect us and can we have him on the show? You know, no. Dick Weichel's been dead for probably, I want to say, 20 years. In fact, he was already on dialysis when oh. I knew him. Oh, okay. Um, the, and, kidney. Uh, the kidney will take it down. Yeah, he lived a good life. That's he nice. He lived a good life. I met him when I worked at this place with my brother. At the, uh, we, the, we, it was called Audio Specialist, and it was a stereo store. Mm-hmm. It was actually kind of in a cool modern building that's has since been torn down, but it was like this kind of cool prefab concrete building. Yeah. It, was, it was an interesting concept building. It's it's not there anymore. It was torn down. Yeah, but and you worked there was, with uh, your with your brother. Rest in peace. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, in fact, Carl, I'm really proud. I just did a little job. I, I built a house about 15 years ago, and it was time to you know paint or whatever. My brother at the time was still working at the stereo store, and I started working for this guy in the commodities business. That it was time for him to have a new fancy home stereo surround system. And we're talking 2005 timeline or something like that. So long time ago now, weirdly enough, he got these really nice, they're called NHT, and they were super high fidelity speakers that went in the ceiling. I had since built my house, but at the time I couldn't afford the fancy speakers. You know, I was just a piker. And so I bought the like the bargain ceiling speakers or whatever. Flash forward to 10 years later, my brother's passed away and my, my buddy was tearing down that house that was all just redone. And so like, you know, we donated most of it to Habitat for Humanity and other places and nice. pieced it out and saved saved pieces of it. But I coveted those speakers and I saved them, mm-hmm. you know, so this was probably 2014. And here we are, 2023. I finally, after whatever, 10 years, when we were painting the house, I cut bigger holes in the ceiling and put these speakers that my brother sold to my boss oh. 20 years ago or something. Oh, wow. And it was so beautiful to turn the record player on and oh, so have what, that connection. What, was your brother the connection between you and your boss? Is, uh, is that how you guys met each other? No. Weirdly enough, we became buddies because um, he offered me free firewood. Uh, at some point he had a bunch of firewood and he wanted to get rid of piles of firewood. And I was just, I was working as a baker downtown and Uh he had heard about this weird guy living in a yurt. And so he came back to that bakery. I was baking for Freilix, which has since become kind of like a big operation here in town. Like three Oaks is not the same anymore. It's gotten real bougie lately. They're a big brewery moved, uh, that big gold medal, uh, brewery, the journeyman. 
Mm-hmm. They moved in there, and it's kind of blown up lately. They got the bourgeois uh, blues, as Taj Mahal would say. They really do. It's, yeah, Taj was right, too. And uh, it's like this this place was, I don't know, it was, they let me bake, if that gives you any, any like, <laughs> sense of their quality control. And, like, I was making cookies, you know, on the off hours or whatever. And so it was, like, it was kind of that level. And so, no, this guy tracked me down, and he offered me free firewood, and I came over. I forgot what book I was reading, but... We were we started rapping and and he said you smoke weed and I pulled out a joint and we've been fast friends ever since you know and I want to say that was around the year 2000 because I started working for him the month after 9/11 happened. The herb can be um, so and bonding. I known him for a little while mm, wow. and so it was really weird to go into that business. You know what I mean? I'd already had to do the setup where I had to get security clearance and all that bullshit. But like it was it was interesting to be in that world all of a sudden from living in a yurt, you know what I mean? It was just totally radical. Hmm. Like it was super dynamic tension, you know, because I don't know if you know this about me, uh, Rob, but like I kind of cut my teeth because you know what I mean? I popped off a pot harvest. I got I had a pregnant girlfriend and like we put up a yurt out back at my father-in-law's property and like hmm. we tried to make it, you know? Like and and so far so good. We had a kid out there. We oh. delivered our son in the yurt like wow. And then uh, I just basically built the farm up from there, you know? So I was in the yurt out back and then we built the house kind of up front just once I got resources together. A little bit of luck and a couple of bucks, you know, down there with the holy rollers. You know, we've met and hung out, Brett, back in about 20 years ago. I don't expect you to remember it at all. I don't mean to put you on the spot, yeah. but I was up there because Alibaba oh. said reunited. They did an outdoor show at Niles. They did a show somewhere. Oh, I love that show. That was no, a that great. Was, they opened with Rezo. years ago now? Yeah, it's 03. I'm pretty sure, I think. But you welcome. I think I might even have slept at your house. Is there a loft or something? Or Oh, when I was. No, that must have been like 2008 or 9. It all rolls and, into and one. You're the. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, because, you know, no, and I, I'm glad that you're bringing this up because. We were talking about timelines earlier, and it's really easy with entropy to mess this stuff up. But I bet you that that was 2008 or 9. You were playing, you were staying with Carl and the, uh, who's the the bass player with the red hair? Jeff Hinkle. Yeah, Hinkle, who was in Mother Vinegar. Right. Was that the trip? Was that what I'm pretty sure, about? yeah, because I remember I got yeah. to sit in so Boondock's studio, uh, okay. surrounded by Alibaba's, re- surrounded by them as they rehearsed. That's one of the sickest I, fucking things for like I two remember, hours. I remember you now. Okay, I totally get. I'm there. I'm there. No, and you're wrong about the timeline. That wasn't 2003. And the only reason I know this because I just repainted my house and I bought paint and I had the old paint can and it said 2009. So you slept in the loft as I was building the house. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. 15 yep. years and ago. And you and Jeff Hankel and Carl. And didn't I play at that show with Khalil? It's on Nugs. If you're oh, yeah, there's a picture. Yeah, we didn't open. We just sat in. Khalil and I sat in yeah, for yeah. two songs. Yeah. And didn't the night before... That's on YouTube, by the way. Since if you guys want to find it, I posted the video because it was oh, from my phone. I've seen it. My I buddy heard got ghosted at that show. It was a really weird scene. It was my buddy's 40th birthday. Somebody got him high on something, Uh-oh. and he got really sick. And I had my buddy there that lost his shit in the girls' bathroom. Oh. And we played it. We played in Kalamazoo. It was some place called. Uh, but I totally remember Rob. Now I I totally remember. And that's right. You guys all slept. On the bare loft as I was building the floor, right? And that gig was that yes. gig was in Niles in that outdoor band shell. Yeah, it was a great gig. Brian set it up, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, and I got some articles out of that. I got one in, a small one in Relics and a big one on jambands.com or something. But we got to talk tuba because I don't know if you've listened oh, to our, yeah, yeah. our Christmas episode with Bayless. I know I could understand why you don't. Oh, if, yeah, I heard that. He brought that up. Yeah, I remember that totally. I, I remember the guy came in and it was like I did. You know, those guys always love Star Wars. So I kind of did my best Obi-Wan Kenobi and I just walked through the door with the tuba. Nobody said anything to me. The crowd parted like the seas. <laughs> Actually, one of those guys put like the microphone down in the tuba for like kind of like a little eight bar solo. And uh, I blew it up. And then when I was done, I just fu- I like mic dropped the tuba on the stage. Oh, they tried to kick me out, but um, uh, they didn't. You know, like the guy came and grabbed me and he's like, whatever. I was like, no, man, I know the band or whatever. And I was like, who else would just walk in with a tuba? You know, which was total bullshit. They didn't know I was there. They right. like, and who knows if at that point, you know what I mean? They were probably spaced out as me. You know what I mean? They were like, oh, <laughs> well, that guy. Just, for clarifica- but, uh, just for clarification, though, it really wasn't a tuba, right? It was a baritone? No, it was a baritone. You're right. <laughs> right. You're right, Carl. Okay. Right. Uh, would you, ever, just uh, for, you know. Ever the literal, and, and the, was, just the set list. Right. Well, yeah. the, everybody Welsh. everybody yeah. else wants to know what happened to it. Uh, it's around. I think it was actually Babu Trees. It was uh, That's Bobby right. Tree's high school baritone. So you walked and, uh, you walked away with it after that because I thought you just threw it on the stage and then left. Sneaky bastard! Oh, you know what? Actually, I think I might have just left because <laughs> you know I have a tuba now that I play. I because shortly after that I like did some gig where I booked myself as like the Midwest like preeminent psychedelic tuba player. Like, you know, right when like loop players came out, I was like, oh man, I gotta do, no one's done this. People are gonna love this. I'm just gonna do like short lived. Right. But I, you know, and then and then that was a tuba. I know that one was a tuba. So that baritone, honestly, might be out there in the ether or thrown away by whatever venue that was. Maybe it was the Riviera or it was, a, or maybe it was somewhere. I don't know. Well, I, I can't don't imagine anybody exactly. throwing but, it away. Somebody probably came home with it. And Kirk Joseph is the ultimate psychedelic uh, Susan phone tuba player in my opinion no oh. no disrespect intended <laughs> yeah. kirk joseph listens to the show i no, wanted to get that no, in there no no it's, yeah no i i <laughs> i, I kind of remember that you know what i remember also about that show and i don't know why but this is just because you guys asked and this is the way i remember being at that show and i don't remember jake's i don't know if they're still married anymore but maybe it was kathy or yeah um yeah. i should know her name yeah Kathleen, mm-hmm. uh, I just remember the shirt she had on for some reason that night because it was kind of like uh, it was backwards or it wasn't backwards, but it was a design. It was like a fashion design mm-hmm. where it made it look like the shirt was backwards. Yep. I didn't say anything about it, you know, but I just remember very graphically. I think it was like green or something, you know, and I remember because I, I was standing behind her while they were talking to some people and she had said hi and she turned around and I remember glancing and I like, whatever, maybe I was on mushrooms or something too, you know, because I walk around with tubas or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, uh, or baritone, sorry, Carl, right, it's but okay, like, okay. I just, I don't know, maybe that's a lack of filter right there, but I just, I just, I could clear as in my mind's eye, I can see her turned around with like, kind of like a short kind of bob haircut in this backward shirt on you know i just i don't know why i remember that from that night but i do i remember lily went to that gig with me because she was super surprised that i didn't get kicked out because like I just <laughs> you must have some pull in this town thing. right like yeah it was pretty far out and uh you know and actually i'm pretty sure you'll have to ask ryan because i never know 
But at one of those shows, at one of those times, I brought a Juniper Tree T-shirt to Ryan at a show and gave it to a security guard and said, hey, my name's Brett. Uh, I used to play music with the guy in this band. It was a great show. And he said, oh, yeah, 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 Ryan. And he liked, you know, it was maybe a Chicago place. I don't remember what it was, but it was the alley. And I didn't want to go back in there or whatever. And I gave him the T-shirt. And I always wonder if, 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 if he Brian Stasek ever got that T-shirt. Hmm, yeah, do you remember that shirt, Carl? We'll I think find he out. designed it. It's the, like a little tree with eyes oh, on like, it? Yeah, a little tree with some space space semen or whatever. And that was a cool design. Yeah. I like that shirt. Remember we made them at Haggerty's oh, on yeah. that silkscreen press? Mm-hmm. We were like, that was back in the day when you made your own stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Like Carl, like... Some still do. Like, that was so beautiful. I love that as much about our culture was like the flyers and going to Kinko's mm-hmm. and staying up late and like just the hustle of band life. I don't know. Do you remember when we we rented out that hall that you got in that fight with with Jimmy Bueno or somebody like you got in that fight you? with? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Walk us through the fight. Actually, please. Carl's been in a couple. No, I think that was the only one you were actually in a brawl. I, I remember I have a recording of you on stage at the State Theater. Yes, maybe early, early Alibaba's days when yeah. you're like, "Hey, you in the blue striped shirt, get the fuck out of here." <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, yeah, I do. Well, if he says the wrong thing about Patrice Bergeron, uh, we could be we could throw some hands too. <laughs> Patrice Bergeron. Yeah, you were, trying, what you saying, were playing man. that. You were playing with Jake. I remember. I kind of can remember the song in my that. Dun, 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 dun. I don't. Yeah, I don't know the name of the song, but and that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't have those particulars down. You know what I mean? As far as like, well, we didn't call you to ask for the particulars. Yeah, particulars are just icing. We did. We did call you though to ask about what your feelings are on the Chicago Bears. Yeah, you got the quarterback. Well, you say that. You say that. But, yeah. Um, honestly, he, here's the thing. They have a lot of work to do. I would still draft another quarterback. Here's what sure. I say. You know, Can I, maybe me, not with the first pick. I, I think that, like, my, my feeling about them is they have so much work to do. Why not be the first team with two awesome quarterbacks? Really do something new. Design a new offense for a new NFL. And I don't, I'm pretty sure that Flus isn't the guy to do that. These are, you asked for my thoughts. This is kind of radical and you're not going to hear this in many circles. Mm. But, An offensive lineman won't like it. I'm a sailor and you know the old adage that if you have two captains, you have none. That's not true. That's total garbage. That's folklore. That's urban legend. Everybody has to be paying attention. Everybody has to be diligent. And the more captains you have on a ship, the better. I believe that, like, it's time to do something completely different. And Justin is a very unique talent. If he's protected, he can throw on a dime. If he can process the play. And he is as fast and dynamic as any quarterback that you, that's ever played in the NFL. Pair him up with somebody who can can give him a break so that he can use that beautiful body to do what it is intended to do, which is score touchdowns for the Chicago Bears. Two counterpoints to that. First of all, it's very difficult to run an offense that way, particularly when you get into clutch situation, egos come involved, and for the linemen, it can be a fucking nightmare. It's enough practicing getting an offense, one offense ready for a game, getting two offenses, each will be a little less prepared mm-hmm. instead of it being better. Secondly, lifelong p- fan of the p- Patriots, New England Patriots. Bill Belichick can fool these young quarterbacks. He does it again and again and again. It's one of the reasons we can have even shitty teams and still be 500. He threw shit at Justin Fields and none of it phased him. And he's fast and he's got a great arm. That's enough to be hopeful. 
If he's handled correctly, okay. you already have your quarterback, in my opinion. Unless he gets hurt or right, he gets well, that's the same as anyone. or whatever. Um, and I'm not crazy about his, like, you know, his attitude, frankly. You know, he's a young man. You know, there's a lot going on there. Well, most young and people have their head up their ass these days. But, but I think his talent is also is a team player. And so I just think the time is ripe, and he's the kind of quarterback that could, if you were going to do something radical, could pull it off with him. And the worst-case scenario, you get another quarterback to market, which is very valuable in that league. I mean, I love the idea. Yeah, I wanted but, the Patriots to do that with Cam Newton and Mac Jones when Newton before Newton fucked up with the COVID and wouldn't get the vaccine and all that. It, we could have oh, done yeah. – I wanted to do that, and that was the pushback I always got. It's hard enough uh, to are, prepare one offense for – you know, you only have so much time to prepare. Preparing two offenses yeah. is twice, twice the work, and it means you're going to be a little – each offense is going to be a little less ready. And it's a bummer that the way they mishandled the uh, Roquan Smith thing, not so much for the money, just because, like, you know, he meant a lot to that team. I mean, it made sense from a business perspective to trade him. It was sad the way that happened because they traded his buddy and he cried and then they traded him, you know. But, you know, that's just the business part of it. Right. So I don't, I don't, I guess that since you asked what my opinion of the Chicago Bears, like to me, that's what it is right now. But boy, they were horrible this year. I mean, that was, but flashes, I thought that the the kid played pretty good. My new thing with sports has been, mostly the sport that I care about is basketball. I watch after the game's already been played and I just watch the scoring drives. And so this year, year was the year for the bears that i did that because you knew that they weren't going to be in those games so i watched the scoring drive those get everybody so the he's tremendously talented so you know if i like you know trusting the professional knowledge like you're saying that it's too much to handle uh, okay i get that then you stick with them you know so then go draft some of these like you know these beasts up front that are going to make a difference for you they're going to put pressure on these quarterbacks because uh you know these guys are all so good you know, all of them are good, right? I mean, pretty much now there's like there's like 10, 15 guys that just can win a game just by themselves. Well, Zach Wilson's pretty horrible. <laughs> Other than that, yeah, they're oh, all good. The, was he the – yeah, but he got benched, right? He's, ter- he's yes. just dumb. Yeah, he's he's just, I'll just throw it up there. Ooh, fuck well, you. There's a lot that fuck we you. Don't I don't care how good you are in college. Go, that's minor league football. What, what about the draft? Man, what about got, the draft? He got picked over Justin, right? Because, like, wasn't Justin, like – Ah. Or was it was – Ridiculous. Because it was uh, – it was, uh, it was uh, the Trevor, the kid from from uh, Georgia, and then it was someone uh-huh. else, and then and then Zach, and then and then Justin. Right, they were the first four. Mac yeah, was a little a later. Mm-hmm. Mac was a little later, and not, don't judge Mac based on when he had bullshit OCs. Based Mac Jones now on are what happens. Are you a Patriots fan? Lifelong team, pre Brady, pre Brady, and post Brady. I'm not one of these pink hat. Oh, Tom Brady, oh he's gone. I don't care anymore. No, none of that fucking bullshit. Lifelong Patriots fan. Why is that where you're from? Or? Yeah, originally. I don't like. Keep it on the down low at some points, but I mean, I'm very happy Why? to be. Where that's where a whole other thing. Was... <laughs> uh, oh, I'll go with Waylon Framingham. But, oh, but you're from the Northeast originally. Sure, sure. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I have like, I don't know much about the Northeast. I just had some friends recently that, uh, like, not recently over the last ten years have built a community in Maine, in Waterville, Maine. Yes, and I used to go to Waterville Valley. That's why I learned oh, to ski. It's a, it's a beautiful part of the world. If, honestly, on the East Coast, that's kind of one of my favorite spots I've seen up there. I mean, it's just so beautiful up there. And many wonderful music like, fans and rough sports fans. It, it's, it's interesting because there's like, there's not a lot, you'd think there'd be more teams over there too. You know, that that's funny that they're the, 
to New England. What do you guys think about the Chicago Bears moving? That's the big news around here. Oh, I think it, I think it's in the stadium, right? I think that's bullshit. I think it's the same craft thing Robert Kraft did when he pretended to move to Hartford just to get the deal he wanted in Foxborough. I think it's the same thing. I think it's all a bluff. I don't know. I hope the Bears do okay, you know, but like now I'm almost a Lions fan. Oh, yeah. You know, kidding. with that big knucklehead Dan Snyder and the mm. way that team performed and mm. the way they beat the Packers at the end of the season. Dan right. Campbell. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I kind of like, and I'm okay with Detroit. I love Detroit. Mm-hmm. I don't get over there enough, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Like, that place has gotten cooler since I've been hearing about Detroit. Mm-hmm. I've been hearing about Detroit since the Heidelberg Project, since that guy <laughs> Tyree Guyton was putting, like, pennies on hoods and stuff. There's a lot of really cool people doing really cool things over there. Oh, I'd love it if the Lions made a run. I just don't think they'll ever – certainly won't do it with that quarterback and unlikely with that coach. The thing about Goff is when he gets against a team who really knows how to coordinate a defense, he can be fooled easily. And Campbell, the whole rah-rah thing, I don't don't know, in a conference championship going up against the Niners with a healthy quarterback, I don't know how far the rah-rah Dan Campbell shit's going to carry him. But I would love if the Lions, the Browns, the Bills – I want all these teams to win a Super Bowl and soon. Uh, They all have such great fans. Uh, they deserve so. It would crush me when the Bills lost. It kind of imploded a couple weeks ago. That was crushing to me. I, I want to see some of these oh, teams. Oh, yeah. In. Hey, my buddy's a Bills fan, you know, for randomly, like, you know, even before they were good. So I was happy for him, but I was sad that they lost, too. And, but I'm kind of glad that the 49ers didn't win because I don't think either of those teams were going to beat either the Chiefs or the Bengals. Mm, yeah, mm, right. Well, the Eagles might. Is that, the, is that the professional consensus? It's hard to read on the Eagles. I don't know to the extent to which they've been challenged, really, though. Do, do we know? They, 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 yeah, beat, they I, barely I, beat I, the Niners they, with no quarterback. They basically walked to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't know what to think about them. Well, How good is Hurts? I don't really know. How healthy is he? He didn't really throw the ball that far, did he? I don't know what to think about the Eagles, but I'll tell you, you know, you know what's the one biggest disappointment about the Bears is when you kicked our, the shit out of us in the Super Bowl, why didn't you give mm-hmm. Walter Payton a touchdown? Why did Walter <laughs> Payton not score? What the fuck? Come on, Ditka. Uh, I remember. Yeah, Come on, Ditka. My, Walter fucking Payton. But, get him a touchdown in the yeah. Super Bowl. Brad, we, were talk, we were talking about the, the Bears moving to the suburbs, correct? Won't yeah. Won't happen. And, uh, you know, I, I actually worked at Soldier Field, uh, so I've been in, in the underbelly of that place. And, Doing what? Uh, I was chefing. Hmm. Yeah, back, oh, yeah, really? back in... Um, Gosh, what was that? Two thousand two, two thousand three, something like that. Wow, I didn't know Jake, that. Yeah, Jacob Ebert was doing that, and then I, I, he kind of hired me to come up there and work a couple weekends. Jacob did for yeah. some event. No, it was for yeah for for the games. They had a oh, they have a Cadillac club. It was all the bourgeois. Um, oh, fun of the of the of the stadium. I love those seats. Yeah. Brett, yeah. Brett, yeah. Jacob just moved back from the northwest, and he has built the new bar that is that Carla's uh, the epic catering and restaurant is now. They're going to be a neighborhood bar. It's going to be named and in honor of Ellen's recently deceased husband. And Jacob Fa- is doing father, fa- father. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> it's been, we've been interviewing for six hours, <laughs> starting to get jelly up there. But Jacob is a big you're part gonna, of that. You're going to edit this, right? You yeah. Know. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll only leave oh, the shitty we parts might, in. We might leave that. That's in. how we have fun with it. <laughs> so the Bears are talking about moving to the suburbs. Yes. I've seen a little bit of that. Yeah, I don't think it'll happen. Arlington Heights. Arlington Heights, that's right. I think it's all a bluff yeah. to get the deal they want because Chicago will not let them go. Yeah, well, I don't know. I'll tell you what. I mean, I, I mean, the people that are that are pushing for it real hard, uh, the development deal people, want it for good reason. But I, I don't think that as far as, like, you know, the big complaint they're saying is, it's downtown and there's no real estate and it's too hard to get in and out of a game. 
there's a train station stop right at the the oh, place. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's not that hard to get in and out of that place. And driving to wherever heights is not the answer for traffic, I don't think. I mean, I don't think that that's going to help the commute to the Chicago Bears game is going out to Arlington Heights what on a Thursday it? night or uh do they, have a, do they have a train that goes to uh, Arlington Heights? Maybe it's because Soldier Field looks like some alien ship landed in an old Greek. Uh, yeah, they kind of fucked that it's up. It's a little weird looking. They kind of fucked that up. It looks kind of stupid. Yeah. I saw the Grateful Dead when the when the fish guy played with them there. Fare thee well. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, the Fare thee well tour. I saw that. That was fun. You know, that's like the last time I was at Soldier Field. I've never, have you guys ever been? I've never been to an NFL game. I have, yeah. A few. Mm-hmm. We, a lot of Patriots yeah. games when it was like a high school stadium, we would just sit on these metal benches. Well, I'll tell you what, what about, pre-Brady. I'll tell you about seeing a game at, at Soldier Field. Before I ever been to Soldier Field to see a football game, I always thought it was, you know, in my head, it was going to be a lot larger than it actually was when you're actually in the in the stadium. Everything looks a little bit more accessible. I've seen the dead there a bunch, but the Tuesday, two days after what was the last dead show there, the dead left their stadium set there and Pearl Jam borrowed it. And they played on a Tuesday and XRT recorded uh broadcast it live and i was in the very top in the back back then pearl jam had a minimalist light show okay i'm straight on in the back at soldier field straight on and it still was amazing that's pretty cool wow yeah yeah there wasn't there's not it's like kind of hard to have a bad seat there yeah it's a cool place you know actually the last time i was there was was actually a football or a soccer game oh really it was mexico and ireland and it was a raucous affair and i snuck in because i was just downtown and i saw it happening and so like I got in and it was beautiful. Mexico won. It was exciting. Did you guys watch any of the World Cup? Because I know you're sports guys. Yes, that's the soccer I do watch the most. I love. The okay, World just Although the World Cup. The, the yeah. officiating can be rough, and the, the the diving, like the NBA, the diving and pretending to be them. They've been shot. You know, the over, the exaggerating their injuries oh, to the get flopping. That, yeah, yeah, flopping. That's the word. That like the NBA. That's the right. hardest to take. But oh my God, the World Cup soccer! I don't care. I can watch a zero-zero game. I'm not a scoring needy cliche American. I, I like Man, good competition, I, irrespective of whether or not they're scoring. I had a beautiful experience. I was in this place called Holbosch. Have you guys heard of that? Holbosch. It's um, Holbosch. It's a uh, so you fly into Cancun and you go about four hours north, hmm. and it's like north of the Riven, the 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 whatever the other lowlands like Isla Mujeres and anyways you you, so you go north through the jungle and then you take a little ferry out to this island Holbosch it's where there's like I don't know the whale sharks go there and it's got bioluminescence and jaguars and shit it's a pretty amazing place and it's kind of like far out to get to so there's not a lot of americanos there there's not very there's not very much english at all but it turns out the whole hospitality staff up there is all argentinian because argentina and mexico have a reciprocal work agreement and Argentina's economy is super messed up. So it's either like you're super wealthy, you know, not like mid middle class Americans or whatever, but like you're either super wealthy or you got nothing. More like where we're headed. Argentina <laughs> works. And um, right, we're headed there. Right. That's kind of that's I mean, essentially. Sadly. And so what Argentinians, they're a little anglicized. Like, like I mean, I mean, they're kind of like bronze white people. As far as the hospitality industry goes, it does well. And the Mexicans on this island don't like to do that part because it's like all these like uh, white lotus resorts like 
<laughs> you know, just these fancy people. You know who I saw there was Tatis Jr., the shortstop for the Padres. Oh. He was out like working out on the beach. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. But there's uh, it's it's all these Argentinians there that are just they run the hospitality industry, and the Mexicans run the racket on construction and transportation. You know, and this island's super sweet. It kind it kind of gives you this feeling that it's protected. You know, by the cartel for the tourist dollars. You didn't have to lock anything. You left your keys wherever. Our host was just like, oh yeah, you're fine. Don't worry. No one's taking your stuff. And if they do, they're not getting anywhere with it. That's like Hayesville. You know, so it's pretty, what's up? That's like where Carl lives. Three Oaks, Three Oaks, same way. I don't, okay. I don't even know where the locks to my doors are. Like I've never <laughs> locked anything. You know what I mean? They'll take the, the computer and leave the guitar. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, it's like, and in Michigan, just like Hayesville, you also don't know if everyone's loaded to the teeth. I mean, I do have that luxury where I'm at in the country. You don't know. You can't just walk up a long driveway in Michigan and not expect some trouble. If you're if you're looking for trouble is what I'm trying to say. Right, right. Like if you're not, if you're just like hanging out, you're fine. But if you go up a driveway, man, you better know what driveway you're going up because you're going to end up with bullets in your teeth. In in Mexico, I didn't know anybody there and I felt the same way. I felt very safe. It was super awesome. Nice. People were really friendly, good psychedelic culture, beautiful people. Oh my gosh, beautiful people. Holy and then the hospitality industry was all like just staffed with these like i don't know kind of like young energetic argentinians and it happened to be the world cup and the other big population on that island is for whatever reason french islanders because there's like martinique and uh you know there's like in the caribbean chain there's like three or four french islands and so they go to holbosch to vacation because it's super nice because it's got this like cool sandbar thing that's way out so you can hang out so it's great for kids and whatever it's like late it's like laid back but um so we're there and it's the world cup and so we go to the hostel where all the argentinians that work there stay and it is a scene man so we go down to like where it's just garden terrace kind of restaurant deal and they have the screen like their big screen tv like all set up and everybody in the restaurant like came in and filed in and they were just loving this game so it was like such an experience to be like people were crying like they were jumping up and hugging hmm. i mean it was really beautiful to see you know what i mean because i've been to some super bowl games there's mostly guys like oh, 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 sitting around blah 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 like no these people were like hugging and and crying and jumping up in excitement and getting up close to the tv and couldn't believe it like running in place you know it was just so amazing and like i didn't even really give a shit about the world cup really but like just to be around those people and then i saw that when he did that when he faked that guy out you remember that messy Fake yes. that guy out for that goal in that, that was one. A huge one. Oh my gosh. This place was uh, it erupted, man. It was so much fun. And then the whole day, because it was like 10 in the morning or whatever when the World Cup was or 11, from noon on, that whole island partied. Like it was, uh, <laughs> it was um, paella on the beach with fresh octopus and that weird fish that they get there, that long little kind of looks like kipper or like whatever, that long skinny fish they eat down there. It's kind of gross, I think. But, um, <laughs> I've done some fishing, like, and I've eaten the fish, but like, I like, I got, I think I got sick off reef fish once, like eating some snapper in the Caribbean. And then like Lake Michigan, I've always been told you don't eat that fish period. <laughs> like they tell you, you can eat like one a year, but it's so loaded with PFAS, oh, those uh, forever chemicals. Yeah, and like, right. you know, you know, that shit they've been dumping under that lake for, mm. you know, and the, and the, the ironic thing is it's hard to tell because the lake is cleaner than it ever has been. Mm. Michigan has like, I'm really proud of our economy. I mean, and our ecology here has been just like, 
you know, it's a free state. I know that like the, the sort of the popular opinion is, is that like it's ran by like a tyrannical governess or whatever, just a bunch of bureaucrats and shit. Like they don't affect your, what's really nice is that, you know, I'm really proud of our marijuana laws. Like, I don't know how you guys do it down in North Carolina. Well, I'm glad like, you mentioned that Brett, because back in the day, that was uh, one of the go-to states for deadheads to get busted, dealing a, a small amount of weed and then get incarcerated for a ridiculous amount of time. This is many is years Michigan. ago, but Michigan was known for that. I'm glad that that's changed. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 no. It, in fact, go up north. It is. That's all it is. Weed shops now. First, it was like beer for like 10 years. Like it was Bell's Brewery and Shorts Brewery. And that was like kind of fueling the sort of like youthful economic expansion. And now it's just weed for the underclass and then battery tech for the overclass. <laughs> so like Grand Rapids, Holland, Zeeland, Michigan, huge, huge booms up there. Because they've got like they did all kinds of weird tax amnesty things like Grand Rapids did. So if you went to Grand Rapids and you hired so many people, like 50 people, you wouldn't have to pay like state tax for 15 years and shit. Hmm. And so they built this big industrial, um, like kind of engineering, high tech, um, like striker beds, making hospital beds and all kinds of medical grade equipment and shit. And now they're getting off that sweet uh, Jeff Bezos Rivian money too, <laughs> uh, to do to make those Rivian trucks up north, right above us. You know, it's really interesting to see kind of what's going to happen in the next ten or fifteen years, and especially because there's going to be political migration. There's going to be people that don't want to live in states that aren't free. In Michigan, because we codified uh, women's rights and you know marijuana is legal, there's a lot of people that think that an attractive social policy and want to be part of that the problem is is the weather because it's like shit from november to may my five-year plan is to go to the caribbean for all that yeah i'm, I'm no feminist but there's no way in fucking hell that men should be telling women that something's a felony for them to, to choice about over their body that's absolutely fucking oh, ridiculous amen but uh, yeah. my personal significance on Grand Rapids is uh, that was the last time I started dealing with a full horn section. Brian Setzer opened and, and his horn sat in for a few songs. And that was the last time I started dealing with, with the horns on stage. It was 98, 99, Grand Rapids. How about that? Wow. Yeah, I, I, um, it's interesting. It's like, I don't know. I started going up there a little bit more because I got myself a little cabin up there. Oh. Um, north of Grand Rapids, but south of Cadillac. I started going up north a little bit more, but that the topography is so interesting up there. Like once you get north of Grand Rapids, it's a different state. The soil changes, the trees change. And then once you get north of Cadillac, then it's honestly like where I was talking about in Mexico and Oaxaca. It's like low scrub from basically like Cadillac up to the bridge and then most of the UP. Real interesting soil. I'm curious what it's going to be like for growing up there because it's not tillable land, really. It's real sandy stuff and you're going to have to bring in all of your amendments to make it usable for, for, for food. I would think, you know, uh, upper lower Michigan, being it has all those lakes around it, would suggest that there's a lot of glacial activity before that may have shaped that land mass a little bit hmm. yeah it's beautiful i mean we're kind of like in the boring part us like southwest michigan you know i mean mm -hmm. i'm here because i was planted here this is where my family's from and then we were lucky we had generational privilege because you know pat bought or my wife's family bought land up here and stuff you know but uh i could see myself eventually just going further and further north especially post-pandemic because it's changed so much around here because so many people from chicago especially they want to be out in the country for good reason it's making it so that it's really unaffordable for families out here 
And I just like like communities where families are kind of supported. And and around here, there's like farm to table places, but it's, you know, they're sweet. It's a cool thing they're doing, but it's the rich feeding the rich. You know, it's a bunch of Range Rovers and, mm-hmm. you know, bulletproof Mercedes and shit. Strange, strange, strange economy, you know, but it's good to see that the food. I mean, there's some some really impressive food business stuff happening around here which is good to see, you know, to see that culture building around food. But it's not for people that are from around here. So, like, there's a lot of these, like, five-course dinners happening or have a Tuscan casing, and they're great. They're really cool, but it's $100 a plate. It's not like Carl's Place. You can't just go there and get, like, a bite to eat and whatever. It's like a commitment. It's like a night and 100 bucks, and right. you go with your wife, and it's $200. And, you, you know, I mean, I'm sure, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you guys have the same stuff happening around you because of the influence of atlanta it's kind of new around here it wasn't like this you know until like the last five years oh definitely and, and it's it's and happening it's but to, I'm, I'm trying to position myself in a good position to capture yeah <laughs> there is a there is a, oh. a niche that needs to be addressed yeah 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 that was really it was it was fun going down and seeing your place carl that was great i really lily and i liked going into the place and like it's kind of cool just seeing your life and like none of those people like you know what I mean? We have so much history, but like, yeah, I have, you right. know, it was just interesting to be kind of just watching that situation, right? You know, and like, not those guys didn't know that I knew you or anything. You know, it's very interesting, right? Right? They like, they they yeah. they referred to you as um, oh, what's the word? It wasn't weird, but it was that's <laughs> close to that. It was a synonym of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be up yeah, there. I'm, yeah. my girlfriend and some folks, friends of mine, and I are going up to Clarkston and then over the border a bit in June. So we'll be somewhat near you. I guess a little east of you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Reach out. Stop by. I'll be around all summer. I've got... uh, I'm going back down to the Caribbean here next week. Mm, And uh, I'm I'm working on a little place down there. I've got a little bit of a budget. My kids are through college now. I I have two full-grown kids, and they're both through school now. My son's last year at Cal Poly Technic, and he got a degree in uh, computer engineering which is pretty great. I'm really proud of him. He's worked his butt off. So now I'm going to try to like use my energy to kind of get this little shack off the ground. There was a house actually, Carl stayed there with me. It was pretty funky. Mm -hmm. Um, it got nicer actually after Carl, after you stayed there for a couple of years, I made some key improvements or whatever, <laughs> but it got, it, it got a little nicer, but then the hurricane came in and blew the whole house down. Oh, it wiped it off the and, freaking Island. Ugh. Yeah. Wiped it off the Island. Well, not far enough. It was quite a job to get it actually off the site, but now it's all clear. And, uh, I'm going down to actually meet an architect to, uh, uh, start the permitting process. So I'm kind of excited about this. This has been a, something I've been wanting to do for uh, five or six years so that I kind of have a, a camp spot when I'm down there, you know, mm-hmm. a place to hang out that's at least, you know, you don't need much down there, a shower and uh, some shade. I mean, it's pretty you need water. good living. And, yeah, and I've been, really into, I've been really into sailing the last 10 years or so. My retirement plan is there's not a wooden boat culture down there. It's just not there. Don't know why. There's some over on the British Virgin Islands, but just none on St. John. And I do these 18-foot open wooden boats. It's, they're actually replicas of boats from the Shetland Islands. It's the working boat of the Shetland Islands. Um, the difference is instead of being made out of hardwood, they're made out of marine-grade plywood. It's called lap straight construction is the type of construction used to make these boats. Because of that, they're very strong. They're watertight, and they only weigh 400 pounds with a one-foot draft. So you can bring them anywhere, essentially. 
and they row as good as they sail. Because of where I'm located in this place, it's called Coral Bay. It's on the far side of this island called St. John and the U.S. Virgin Islands. And it's just beautifully set up that there's all these fingers that come out so you can sail and row in all these bays without even going out to the open ocean. It sounds like a fantasy, but I've been doing it in Lake Michigan, and Lake Michigan is really hard sailing. I feel like I've been training the last uh, whole little bit. I've been sailing to go down there, and I was thinking of doing that as kind of like a later-in-age job to bring young people or adventurous people that want to actually sail the boat with me. Maybe just some fishing on these little yeah take them out a little fishing do a little day sailing and then bring them back in if i just do that a couple times a week i can meet new people and you know what i mean i get to sail you know i'm pretty wired pretty tight it's nice to be able to focus all my attention on a task you know and so i really have late in life i mean it's like carl said about the basketball if you would have told me 20 years ago that I would want to do anything to play basketball on Wednesdays and sail a boat, a wooden boat, I would have said you were crazy. I wanted to be drunk in European port towns, but like <laughs> things change, you know? Hey, Carl, guess what? What, man? Not only is there a Patreon for Dropped Among This Crowd Media, which already is a great way to support, but for those who are getting cold feet and not sure, there's now a 14-day trial. You can see some of the benefits that you get at the Oh, shut the front door. Some conversations that you don't get on the show. Will and I are about to record a football one. Actually, Carl and I are uh, recording longer and longer interviews. I don't know if they're all going to make the podcast. Mm. But you will always be able to find the full version of the interview. It's a good problem to have. On Patreon, yes. We've we've been talking to some talkers. Yeah, that's for sure. But, you know, there's going to be more and more content more and more benefit and gosh dang it just helps sarah create more podcasts there's so many things on the back burner and sherman will be with us every day right sherman sherman's nibbling on my knee right now i miss my birdie (laughs) and as always thank you sarah This is brought to you by the DATC Media Company. Email us. Tell us what you think. StewOnThisPod at gmail.com. So, Rob, have you heard Brett Paget's band, The Squirm Orchestra? I've heard you mention them. I have not. I have, I have for our first time on this podcast, we are going to be listening to a record. Yeah, he's got a turntable right in the I know these board. things are getting kind of popular nowadays, but you kids out there, this yeah. is what we used to roll with way back, way, way back when. You know, I want to say real quick, because I saw Eddie Vedder at a concert that we'll talk about another time, but in the 90s, Pearl Jam was all about vinyl right through even when everybody else had given up on vinyl pearl jam continued to release everything on vinyl continued to espouse vinyl spin the black circle that's one of their songs that's about vinyl oh, so shit. i just want to throw that in there but tell us about this band girl uh it's squirm orchestra it's brett paget um brett paget of paget's profile <clears throat> fame yeah, and we're we gonna know. go ahead and roll the record while i'm talking over please this. do please do 
here we go. Uh, Khalil Smiley. That's Khalil from uh, ABT. Took my place over when yes. I left. Yeah, that's when a- ABT was improved. When Jason you- Seitz, Brett Paget, and Brandon Nielsen. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Very trip hop. Like a contemporary bitch's brew, man. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of texture going on here. I feel like I'm on a balcony in New York and Manhattan. Yep. The cigar in an old fashioned. It's a cloudy night. From what I understand, Khalil is the mastermind behind a lot of the uh, electronica elements. Gotta have Khalil on sometime. Came back there, you know. This track is called Camus Moo. I think miking percussion that well is kind of tricky. Do, do you mic as a producer? Do you do much miking of percussion? Mostly drums. And yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky to rock around to rock around. That's right. On top, it's tricky. <laughs> See, that part, that keyboard sound is what reminds me of Bitches Brew. that glockenspiel now it cuts Additional musicians are Lana Paget, that's um, Brent's daughter, Ellie Burke, and uh, Tom Klepak. It's impressive they have a press to vinyl. I mean, do they do they press a lot of these? It's not always easy to get stuff pressed to vinyl. You know, this is the only one I'm aware of of their albums. for a Brett Padgett guitar solo coming up here. I can feel it. 
Well, could be the duo. <laughs> Look out, folks. Duck! <laughs> or A. Sousaphone. Baritone. Martians talking. Shoot them down. Shoot down the Hobby Lobby balloons. Shoot it down. See the Goodyear blimp had a don't shoot sign on it? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have a sense of humor in this world, people. Don't forget that. I was right. Here we go. Brett Padgett guitar solo, people. Saddle up. Sounds just like a conversation with him, doesn't it? Yeah, the other instruments can't get a word in. <laughs> I love how it's not about notes. It's all about the feel. Yeah, it's about a texture or a, a certain space. I was going to say space. Color. Sometimes it's about what you don't play. <laughs> this is called Take Knives, by the way. Knives with a K. Take my knives, please. In your gut. Take that. Blah. Wow. All right. There's a segue. Yeah. <laughs> right? This next one is is actually called... It's like it went from the, the loft... called Election To Day. the Honky Tonk. Selection Day by Blaze Foley. Oh, Blaze Foley. Mm-hmm. I've heard some people covering him lately. Blaze Foley's getting some heat.
like that sound. Is he playing the sax through something? The filter or something? It sounds like a flute. That, yeah, but then there's that other sound. I think that might be the bar- the baritar, as we used to call it, but it's the, the Fender 6, perhaps? Okay. Someone got a little heavy with their feet. (laughs) It's a record, people. We're pretty real on this this podcast, right? It's all right. It's all right. At least we're not eating. It's all right. At least I'm not eating a pizza. Yeah, at least ears. I didn't spill my drink. Right, Ellen? On the mixing board. That would suck. <laughs> well, that was great. What'd you think? That's very cool. Can I can I get a copy? I don't I mean I can I could burn you a tape. <laughs> or I could I could uh, It's just what I'm looking for, more cassettes. More cassettes. Great. Yeah. I wonder if we could if we can um get in touch with Brett and see how uh we can sell some of his records for him. Sure, I'll buy one and I'll and we'll sell them to the to the uh listeners maybe. Absolutely. So anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was Brett Padgett's band, to recap, the Squirm Orchestra. Um, They hail from Three Oaks, Michigan, for the most part. Which we talked about on the episode. There are similarities between Mm -hmm. Three Oaks and Hayes. He said this is their last album that they put out. Um, I do believe they're still working on some things. Um, But uh, yeah, check them out. Thanks for listening to the show, folks. And we'll uh, we'll see you next week. we got a really special one for you. We're going to have... pieces on of this interview on patreon and next week we have tim andrews of radio legend and believe me we got some patreon stuff for you with that see ya peoples thanks for listening